Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I've been uh, introing him. I'm not introing him. I've been promoting him, talking about him the, the last few weeks. Um, I love when Pastor Joe comes. He is uh, a pastor to pastors, a, a leader of leaders. Uh, he is my spiritual father. Uh, he is a mentor. Uh, he's been a, a, a constant voice of encouragement during this time graciously taking phone calls, reaching out to me with texts. And so I'm so thankful. I can't tell you how excited I am to have him here with all of us today. So I want to ask you, whether you're here at home, lock it in, open your heart to receive the word I know God has for you through the wonderful gift and vessel of Pastor Gerald Brooks. Pastor, would you come and bless us this morning? Thank you. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm always excited when I get to come here because I know this church. Uh, literally, uh, I said yesterday when we were talking to the team of people, I spoke at this church before Don Jr. spoke at this church because uh, Don's dad and I were just so close. And, and I never want to be remiss in saying it, but but your dad's smiling from heaven. He is just so happy with you. And he's so proud of you for all that you've done to continue the legacy. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, let me just interject something uh, about Amos 5.24. That was a word that God gave me, but that word didn't originate with me. It originated with Martin Luther King Jr. during the Montgomery boycott. He had just received a death threat that his house would be bombed. He was literally terrified. He said it was one of the few times he received a threat that really, really terrified him. He sat down at his uh, coffee table and he had his hands over his head and he said, God, I need to hear from you. It was at that place that God gave him Amos 5.24. He said, I'm going to ask you to take that and I'm going to ask you to articulate it. Most people who've ever quoted the I Hear a Dream speech do not realize they're quoting the Bible when he says in there about justice rolling and righteousness beginning to flow. Uh, But that was his prayer. That was his life verse. If you study all of his communication, he taught on that verse more than any other verse. That was the verse because he knew this, justice takes care of the past, righteousness changes the future. And if all we do is handle the past, we're just going to see the past reoccur. He knew that there had to be something that justice can never be delayed or denied. It has to always be articulated for the future, and that's righteousness. And so what I want to say to you is uh, there are 750 churches across America that are praying this today with you. That represents over 350,000 Christians in churches all over America who have signed up with my church, this church, and other churches. So you look around this room and you hear, oh, we're praying this. There are 350,000 Christians praying one verse right now. So I want to say thank you because when you get that many Christians agreeing together, something happens. Well, I could uh, try to make you comfortable with who I am. My wife's known me for 42 years. She says, that's just not going to work. So I'm going to pray and jump into the word of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, that as we uh, sit together and we learn together, we want the word of God to rise. I realize that we're in a unique time, Father, and the word of God gets filtered through events. 
some people are taking every little news event and they're hearing that and then by the way, the word of God. But what I know is the word of God is to be bigger than any news event. It's not to be secondary to it. It's not to be the second thing to whatever is being said. It is to be the primary thing. Because Father in life, you said heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will remain. So when all of this is finally done, we will look around and we will find the word of God still stands. So Father, we choose to stand on your word today, knowing it's the only thing that will secure us for tomorrow. In Jesus' name. And we all agree together saying, Today I want to talk to you about your faith and I want to talk to you uh, about why your faith matters. And I want to take you to a verse of our Lord and Savior from Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. It's a very, very famous verse in the Bible because Jesus stood up to his disciples and he said to them, he says, guys, if you just have faith as the size of a mustard seed, you might say to this mountain, be thou removed, and it would be removed. And so Jesus was talking to them about this subject of faith. But I want to be clear with you when I use that word faith, what I'm talking about. See, most times when the word faith is used in a church, everyone thinks about giants in faith. They think about Billy Graham. They think about Mother Teresa. Uh, They think about a Joel Osteen. They think about a Joyce Meyer. But I'm not talking about their faith. Today, I don't care about Billy Graham's faith or Mother Teresa's faith or Joy's uh, or Joel's faith. I want to talk to you about your faith. In fact, let me get a little bit more specific. I want to talk to you about the faith of the single mom who works two jobs and every week, even in a pandemic, gets her kids to church. And you know why that single mom who works two jobs trying to keep her family together will get her kids to church because she knows that without the help of God, her family will not stay together. I want to talk to you about her faith. I want to talk to you about the faith of the individual. He's a young man. He's never walked in a church before, but he's walked in one time. He heard someone like Don uh, begin to preach and he gave his heart, but he doesn't know the Bible. If you ask him to find Matthew, he'd have no clue where Matthew is. If you ask him if, if something were in the Bible, he wouldn't know because he's never been erased. But he's the individual who's an addict. He's addicted to alcohol. He's addicted to drugs. He knows he needs help, so he's given his heart to Christ. But if you walked into this place and you ask him any of the things many of you know, he wouldn't know them. I want to talk to you about his faith. I want to talk to you about the faith of the individual that went in the doctor's office this week. And the doctor looked at him and said, the test came back. And when the test came back, they weren't what we wanted. And you have cancer. And they're hearing that word, and it's gut-wrenching. So to that single mom, to that individual who's walking into church for the second time who doesn't know the Bible, to that individual who's been diagnosed, to that alcoholic who knows that they're destroying their family and they don't want their family destroyed, I'm talking about their faith. It's in the midst of that that Jesus said, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed. Now just think about that. If you knew that you were writing a book 
and what you were writing in that book would be read 2,000 years later, what would you put in it? I mean, you know that there's going to be a book and 2,000 years after you say that, that's going to be in there. What would you put in it? It always intrigues me what God edited out and what God edited in. And the fact that he used the phrase, if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed. Now, I don't know about you. I've lived my whole life and I've never run into a mustard seed. Some of you may have mustard seeds in your pocket right now. But I've done my whole life, I've never seen a mustard seed. Can I be honest with you? I've never seen a mustard seed tree. If someone said, there's a mustard seed tree, I go, well, gee, that's the first one for me, man. Mark that off the bucket list. I've now seen one. I mean, if I were to ask honestly, how many of you have ever seen a mustard seed? I doubt there'd be anyone here. How many of you seen a mustard seed tree? Unless you've been over to Israel, you may have seen one. In fact, one day I thought, you know, I'm a preacher. I need to know what a mustard seed looks like. So I did like every good preacher, I Googled it. And when I Googled it, it showed this little bitty puny seed. I'm thinking, that is a pathetic seed. As far as the seeds are, you got picked on at recess. This is a puny seed. Really, really horrible. And then I looked up what a mustard seed tree looks like. Man, that is just a bush. We wouldn't even call it a tree in Texas. It's like a bush trying to be a tree. Oh, one day I'll be a tree. And I'm thinking to myself, why is it that Jesus used this puny seed and this ugly tree? Why did he say to you, to me, if you have faith like this? Why did he say 2,000 years later, if you have faith like this? I believe that Jesus was trying to convey three thoughts. And I believe these three thoughts can help that single mom, can help that alcoholic dad, can help that person who's addicted, can help that person who's just been diagnosed, can help that person, let's be honest, that the fear of COVID is bigger than their faith in God. I believe what Jesus said was setting up a conversation. The first thing Jesus was saying about faith when he used the mustard seed was this. Faith always seems small in comparison to the problem you're facing. Faith always seems small in comparison to the problem you're facing. So, when he used that little puny seed, if he'd used a watermelon seed, I'm telling you, a watermelon seed's a bully compared to a mustard seed. But I mean, if he'd used that, I could have got that. But when he used mustard seed, it's hard to even see one. But what he was saying is, I need you to understand when you walk in faith, the problem you see out there will always seem bigger than the faith that you feel that you have in there. I need you to get it. The problem out there will always seem bigger than the faith that you have here. The problem out there will always seem bigger than the faith that you have there. And what Jesus was saying is, that's all right. 
That doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that your faith isn't working. It doesn't mean that your faith isn't good. It doesn't mean that your faith isn't vital. It just means get used to it when you walk by faith faith, when you are a person of faith, when you live by faith, when you exercise faith, that you are in a position that out there will always seem bigger than what's in here. I pastored for 42 years. I've never had anyone come to me and say, pastor, I just want you to know, I just went to the doctor's office And the doctor just said I had cancer. The doctor just said I had heart disease. The doctor just said, and you can run the list. And they walk into my office. But I want you to know that my faith is so big, I just feel like it won't be a problem. No one's ever said that to me. You know what people have said to me? Pastor, I believe in God, but I'm just not sure. I believe in God, but I don't know that that my faith can handle it. I've never had anyone. Now, maybe Don has, but I haven't. In 42 years, walk into my office and say, my faith is big enough. But Jesus knew that. And when he used the mustard seed, he said, what's out there will always feel bigger. And can I be honest with you? To some of you that are watching online, the reason you're watching online is because what's out there seems bigger than what's in here. But Jesus said, that's all right. Faith always seems small when facing a problem. But that's how faith will seem. Don't let that stop you from believing God. Don't let that stop you from using your faith in God. Second thing that Jesus was saying is that God can do big things with small faith. God can do big things with small faith. That God can do big things with small faith. That same God that can take five loaves and a couple of fish, he can do big things with five loaves and a couple of fish. He can multiply that and he can take small faith and do big things. See, here's the mistake. We think faith is about having big faith. So we're always working, man, let's just work our faith, work our faith, work our faith. Let's get some big faith. We need big faith. We need big faith. We need big faith. Here's what faith is. Faith isn't about having big faith. Faith is about having a big God. See, it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's the size of your God that matters. But we turn this into, well, I've got to have this big, big faith. And Jesus was saying, if you've got faith the size of a mustard seed, just a little bitty puny seed, the seed that got picked on it, you know, at recess, that kind of thing. You've got that kind of faith. He says, God can do big things. He can move mountains with little faith. He can move mountains with little faith. He didn't say you move the mountain. He says he can take little faith and he can move it. 
But we make it all about my faith. Oh man, I just don't feel like I have faith for today. I don't feel like I have faith. This is just too big. This is just too overwhelming. Man, there's so much. I mean, every little thing, every little alert that comes out. Some of you, every little alert, you've got that. You read the alerts before you read the Bible. God help you. At least put the Bible before the alert. So let's read the alerts and, and we forget. And the reason we do that is everything's big. But it's all right. Jesus said, faith always seems small and your faith always seems inadequate, but it's not whether your faith is big, it's whether your God is big. And it's not whether your faith is perfect, it's whether your God is perfect. Well, I just don't have perfect, I just struggle. You know, I just struggle with this faith thing. I just struggle when it comes to faith. I just struggle. It's all right. See, there are people who have the impression. The only way I can be a person of faith is I've got to know the Bible the way Don knows the Bible. I've got to be able to spend hours in the Bible every day. I've got to be able to pray every day, and I've got to, but you're sitting there saying, man, I got this real life job. I've got this real life stuff I'm doing. I don't have that time to do that. I don't get to do that. We've made faith about us instead about God. It's not the size of your faith, it's the size of your God. It's not the perfection of your faith, it's the perfection of your God. It's not how powerful your faith is, it's how powerful God is. So the first thing he'd say, it's all right. The problem always seems bigger in your faith. Second thing he would say, is you need to understand that in your life, in your life, your faith isn't gonna seem adequate, but your God's more than enough. Because it's not the size of your faith, it's the size of your God. God can do big things with little faith. But the third thing he was saying is, it's a seed and it can grow. It can get bigger than it looks today. Let me take you on a journey. I have the privilege of having this wonderful family. Jenny, my wife, who's, we've taken this journey together for 42 years. She's just remarkable. We have three kids. Our family's a little bit unique because our oldest daughter's adopted. And uh, my son, Cody, he's adopted. Cody's adopted because I wanted an athlete in the family, and after looking at the gene pool, the only way I could get an athlete was to go outside the genes. But our middle daughter is ours biologically. We had just started the church. Don, your dad, had been going just a few months before us when we started our church. And in starting the church, we were just this young couple who believed that God was asking us to do something. Well, in the middle of starting a church, Jenny got pregnant. That was thrill to us because from day one, we were praying. We were praying that every tissue, every cell, every fiber, every organ of that baby's body will function to perfection that God ordained it to function. We weren't going out doing dumb things. So when the governor shuts down bars, that doesn't affect my life. 
devastate some of yours, but it doesn't affect mine. Never been doing that scene, never part of it. Shuts down the river, doesn't affect my life. I haven't floated in years. But in the midst of all that, we're just, we're doing church. We're not out there doing anything wrong. We seem to have the perfect life, the perfect faith. We're believing God. Everything's going fine. We get to the place that at the end of the pregnancy, it looks like, you know, the day's coming. And Jenny looks at me one morning and says, hey, I think I need to go see the doctor. Something's not right. Now, for all you young guys or anyone who is young and you haven't been with a pregnant wife, uh, let me just say, if they want to do something, just say yes, ma'am. You really don't want to take on a pregnant lady. There's no future in it. There's no winning in it. You will never hear the end of it. So just say yes. So I'm thinking, man, it's just another day or so. Why do we need to go? But I said, you want to go to the doctor, I'll take you. So we go to the doctor. When we get to the doctor's office, the nurse comes out. Now, we already have a child, the older child. So this isn't our first child, but it's the first one by childbirth. And so the nurse is acting like Jenny's just a little bit squeamish here and so on. Says, oh, you know, this is normal. You get some uncertainty here. And so as a result of that, she says, well, I'm just going to listen for the baby. And I'm standing here behind and I'm watching this. And I could see her face. She's trying not to say it, but she wasn't hearing what she wanted to hear. And she just politely, not wanting to upset this, this mom, said, hey, I'm going to go get the doctor. Now, let me just tell you about life. Whenever you go to the doctor's office and you don't get to see the doctor, that's good news. That means everything's fine. You're living. You're well. The doctor comes in. He starts listening a little bit and then he puts down the little device and he looks, he says, Mr. and Mrs. Brooks, he said, uh, we can't find the heartbeat of the baby. We've got to get your wife over to the hospital. We've been praying every day. This baby's going to be perfectly healthy. I look, I see his face. I said, well, let's get over. He says, the baby's going to be born today because it's just got to happen today. So we get over there and they go internally and they hear the baby's heartbeat. Man, everyone's relieved and everything. But he said, hey, the baby's got to come today. I have a friend who helps start the church with me. And so I call him and and I go outside to pray with him because you think, well, praying for all of this would be a good thing. I get outside. We pray for five minutes. I come back in. I look in the room. There's no wife. There's no nurse. In fact, there's no nurse at any of the stations. There's no doctor. It's like the whole floor's been vacated. And all of a sudden, I see a doctor running. Another rule of hospitals, you never want to see doctors in a hurry. Because when they're running, it's not good news. The doctor's running. He says, this is the dad. Have him sit down. He looks at me and says, the baby's heart's crashed. We got to get the baby right now. They sit me down literally in a wheelchair well. So I'm sitting there and literally I'm here. The surgery room's here. So I hear everything that they're saying. They go on. It's not the little bitty slit. They're going in after that baby. It's from stern to bone and they get the baby. I hear the baby cry. In fact, to this day, I tell Jenny, I heard the baby cry before you did. I was the good dad. I held the baby first 
because I got up when you were asleep. Everything. Everything seems fine other than this emergency C-section. Jenny and I hold the baby. Everything's fine. Next day, I get a call from Jenny. She's in tears. She said, you got to come up here. I run up there and I said, what's going on? He said, the doctor needs to talk to us. He said, Mr. and Mrs. Brooks, this baby has a major heart problem. I need you to get this baby to a cardiologist as quick as you can, a pediatric cardiologist. Now, I don't know about you. I didn't have pediatric cardiologist on my speed dial. So I find one, and I find a good one, and, and we go, and we, we find it. I can remember Jenny being there. She's still recovering from the wounds, but she's holding this baby. We literally hand the baby over. The doctor listens with the stethoscope. He looks at us. He puts it down. All he's done is listen. He says, this baby has a major, major heart problem. Now, we've prayed every day. Every day. We're not out there living in sin. We've prayed every day. And now all of a sudden, emergency C-section, a baby with a major heart problem. I look at him and I said, well, what does this mean? He said, well, this baby's gonna have to have open heart surgery. I said, okay, when can we do it? He said, a year from now. I said, a year from now? Is the schedule that full? He said, you don't understand. They can do it different today, but he said back then, the baby has to be a year old. The heart's not big enough. I can remember to this day, Jenny looking, holding this little baby at the doctor and said, how do we get this baby to the ear? Here's literally what the doctor did. He just puts up his hands and shrugs. I don't know. Jenny asked this question. Well, should we stop the baby from crying? Said, she may cry and she may die. Should we keep the baby moving? From moving, said, he may, she may move, but she could die. Said, all I can tell you is she can't have the surgery to a year. So for a year, we're going to have this little baby. And the unspoken thing in our mind is every time we walk by and we don't hear a sound in our minds, she died. Every time we'd peek in the room and we didn't see her little chest going like this, she died. Every day we're going to live with that. But see, we prayed before this. We believe God before this. But now we're here. So people say, well, I prayed, and I didn't get all my prayers answered. I said, welcome to the club. But every day, we're going to live with this unspoken fear. We're going to feel it. The stress would get on me so bad at night thinking, man, she's going to die during the night. I'd literally get Casey up and I would put her in the stroller. I would walk around, uh, you know, our neighborhood in the middle of the night, praying in the spirit, just uh, quoting the word of God. And I'd be so loud and I'd pray over Casey. Casey, you got to fight. You got to fight. You got to fight. Can I tell you of all the prayers I've ever prayed, that one God answered because that girl fight with anything. We get to a year, take her into a hospital. I ask all five of the doctors that will be involved, what is the very best that you could possibly do? All of them give me their information. Jenny and I write a prayer and we say, God, you're the God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask. 
I've got that prayer to this day. I've got what the doctor said, and I can show you that from the length of time, the amount of blood, everything, that God blew all that out of the water. But when she left the hospital, here's what we were told. She'll have another surgery when she's five. She'll have one when she's probably 13. She'll have one when she's in her 20s, and she'll probably live to 30. Casey just turned 37. She's never had a surgery again. She's on the city council in Plano because she fights with everybody. Now, in the middle of that, a year, every thought, she died. Every time we walk by the room, so when people say, you don't know what faith is, I know what it's like to walk by your kid's bed every day and think they died. Let's fast forward. We have a chance to adapt, to adopt Cody. So we're there when Cody's born. I've lived through this. I don't want to go through anything. So he's born at a place called City of Faith in Tulsa. Doctors come up. When he's born, I ask the question. I said, could you just check his heart? They check his heart. It's perfect. Another doctor came by. I said, would you check his heart? I said, it's perfect. We take Cody home. We get him to Texas because as soon as you can get out of Oklahoma, it's always a good thing. And so we get him to Texas. I'm sitting in my office and it's six weeks getting his shots and Jenny calls me and I can tell tears are running down her face because she's crying on the phone. She said, Gerald, you've got to get here. I said, get where? Just give the kid the shot. I said, no, you've got to get here. We go in, same doctor looks and he says, Mr. and Mrs. Brooks, Cody has a heart problem. I said, what? I asked five doctors. Five doctors told me he's perfect. I said, sometimes they just don't hear it at the beginning because the heart's developing. We sit there and they said, you got to get him to a pediatric cardiologist. I now have one on speed dial. We end up taking him there. Here's what happened. This doctor literally takes a stethoscope. He listens to Cody's heart. When he listens to Cody's heart, he puts the stethoscope, he looks down, he says, Mr. and Mrs. Brooks, I can't believe this. The medical odds of you having two kids with one of them being adopted is so astronomical. But your son has a major heart problem. Now, I know you guys are good Christians. I'm not. I'm ticked at God. I've already done my tour duty. I already know what it's like to stay up at night thinking your kid's going to die. I get to do it again. I get to live those same moments over again. I'm mad. God, why in the world? I pastor. I'm a Christian. I pastor. We prayed. We believed God. I ask all the questions. I'm mad. I know none of you ever get mad at God. But I'm mad. And God interrupts me, which I thought was really rude. And he says, if I ever was going to take a little boy and put him in a family who had a heart problem, 
wouldn't I put them in one that already knows how to believe for a heart? We went through a journey. Cody's fine. Here's what I want to tell you. Whether it was with Casey or Cody, I never felt like my faith was big enough. I always felt like my God was big enough. And I'm just saying to you as somebody who's lived through the day and we got more stuff scaring people like ever before so they won't leave their house because they believe everything that's coming, I can't tell you what the future holds, but I can tell you who holds you. And what I want to say to you is, God does great things with small faith because it's not the size of your faith, it's the size of your God. And right now, we're seeing how big some of you think your God is. My faith never felt like, oh, I can handle any of this. But I've always believed my God could handle anything. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, that you have a way of speaking to the hearts of people. There's that single mom out here, her back's up against the wall. There's that individual taking their first faith, steps of faith. Lord, they don't feel good at this. Today, Lord, I just pray that wherever they are, you just help them in their journey. Thank you for that. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.